Welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Giordano, and we are coming to you from the field today in northern Spain with two very special guests. We have Enrique and Eva from Iberica Overland. Thank you guys so much for coming. Hi, thanks for having us. Welcome. And it's so fun to be here in Spain talking to you about overlanding. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Awesome. So you have a YouTube channel and you've been contributors to Overland Journal and Expedition Portal. So there are a few articles out there with your names on them. Yeah. Um, but tell me a little bit more about yourselves and how you got into Overland travel. This is you, definitely. Well, yeah. I, I will start there. Um, I've always been in uh, overforce and, and off-road since I think I had dry license. My, my first car ever was uh, a Suzuki Samurai. So as soon as I got my license, like next week, I got a, a Samurai. Nice. And I was already on, on, on the dirt. So it's really what I, I, I always wanted. I was like... Are those pretty popular in Spain? Yeah, I've they seen are them like, everywhere. They are yeah. everywhere. And it's like a very cheap car where you know everybody gets for just moving around the small trails and going to farms and stuff like that. And so I've always been like into dirt, like motorbikes, dirt bikes, and always been in the off-road community and, and doing uh, trips. Uh, but um, I think it was more like when I got my first Jeep and I started to to be interested on, on traveling uh, with, with the Jeep and also like uh, to make my own meals and sleeping in the car and all that out of necessity because I'm a photographer, filmmaker. So it was the way to get out there, get remote, because I do mostly landscape and nature and being able to access places, you know, otherwise would be impossible with gear and, and all that. And, you know, it was like a perfect combination. So you can access to the places, you can sleep in the car, being there at the right time, with the right light. So that's a, pretty much how I started doing, switching more from, from the off-road to the overland. Thing. Nice, nice. Were you based in Madrid at the time or were you somewhere yeah. else that you were starting from? Yeah, I was uh, living in Madrid then when I got this second-hand Grand Cherokee. And I just threw a, a mat, like one of those uh, inflatable mattresses and small fridge on the side and, and camping gas and, you know, jet boil and... And then I went to the Alps for two months and it just like, I was hooked. It's like, okay, this is it. Wow. You know, just sleeping in the back of the Jeep with nothing but just a piece of wood and, and a mattress and, and small fridge. And not, not even one of the good ones, just like one of those, you know, that drain your battery because <laughs> I didn't have a second battery or anything. And that was it, you know, it's just during the trip, I remember buying a solar panel and putting it with zip tights and the, Roof rack. <laughs> so it was so okay. This is it. Awesome. And how about you, Eva? When we met, when we started living together, and Ricky already had the, the Jeep Grand Cherokee, I used to travel as a, as a backpacker. So I was already really interested in, in, in seeing the world and in like maybe slightly weird ways. So after my first trip with him, I was also hooked and I was more than excited to. to start traveling in a way that is maybe slower and a bit more comfortable than what I was used to. So that's how we actually, and then, then, then we got the dog. So then that was another reason to don't take planes. Anymore. Yeah. To stop <laughs> taking planes and to switch to car based travel where we could make our own meals and move at our own rhythm. 
mm-hmm. prepare our own meals and sleep well, preferably in in nature. Mm. Very nice. Yeah. And you met while traveling, right? Yes, we mm. met in Iceland. We but we met a long time ago. We met in Iceland in two thousand and nine, and we just met. But mm. we kept in touch. And then eight years later, so in 2017, we were kind of like maybe looking for an excuse of like we were trying to find a thing to do together. So we would have an excuse to meet up again. Where were you living at the time? I was living in Belgrade at the time and Enrique was living already in Madrid. So he spent three years living in Iceland then he moved back to Spain. And so we came up with, um, let's call it a small project. Uh, that's what my, my upcoming article in Overland Journal is about, actually. So we came up with the idea to visit these peculiar monuments to the, um, we, we call it in the region, we call it the revolution. So actually the struggle in the Second World War all over the Balkans. So the, the seven countries that used to be one, they used to be Yugoslavia. Uh, these monuments are really like they, they, they have been there very many in numbers and they are very peculiar in aspect. They're usually very abstract and you can't tell from them what are they supposed to represent, which is a big contrast to the typical. So Yugoslavia was a communist country, but that's uh, a very uh, big contrast um, to the typical Soviet art from the time. That is very realistic. It usually has like human figures that are like realistic in an idealistic way. Well, Yugoslavian art is different. It is very abstract. And uh, these monuments are, or at least like the biggest and the most impressive, most important ones are usually in like battle sites all over Yugoslavia. So these places are remote, usually in the mountains. Very often you do need a four by four to get close to them. So we made, this has actually been three different trips and there for sure are going to be more to come around the Balkans where we just like drove there with our car and then explored this part of the history of the region. Um, the yeah, not only the monuments, but the areas around, because as you say, like they are based where the battles took place. Yeah. So mm. just down in the middle of a hill sometimes. So yes. it's very cool to explore the area at the same time, not just... Going to see the nice. Yeah, and, and and the road takes you, or the, the trail mm. takes you to places that are vastly unknown to to locals and to tourists alike. Um, the what? communist history in Yugoslavia is a bit forgotten. So since the, the, we have had the, the Balkan Wars in the nineties, and then every country has had its own transition to a capitalist democratic society. And we don't like to think or talk about it much. So to us, to, to local people from the Balkans, usually these monuments, as well as the stories connected to them, are not very interesting. We don't know much about them. So for me as a local, it was also amazing to travel with a um, foreigner and, and discover this part of my own history that I didn't pay much attention to before. So there's a message behind each of these monuments. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Every one of them has like it, it commemorates a certain event or a certain battle or a certain site where something important happened. But all of them tend to have like positive futuristic messages hidden more or less or less within them within them. So uh, they, they send like this message about the positive future that we are going to have as like united peoples of, of Yugoslavia which is a nice message to see nowadays as well. Yeah. What could you describe what a few of these 
um, structures look like so people can get a sense of Mm, okay, I can try. They're very different, right? Yes, yeah. yes, they're very. Yeah, the, usually this was this was like a big. It was a big monument building movement activity in the country of Yugoslavia in its in its golden years, especially in the seventies. So um, they would look like very futuristic in a way, but like like a dystopian in a dystopian way. Mm -hmm. Also, the, the fact that they are in the middle of a hill or a forest. So they make them very dystopian. You know, so you arrive there and it's like a huge piece of, 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 of rock with immense and with an abstract shape, like a, like a spaceship. And it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just wow. landing that there. That is a good description. And it's just landing there. And then you look at it, it's like, what is this doing here? Yeah, you know, so it's they're not often, in the middle of the town. Like we put the, the monuments here yeah. to commemorate something that happened in, in that hill. Like... <laughs> 10 kilometers away, they, they put the, where, where the people die in, the, in those battles. So it's, it is amazing to see those spaceships made of stone in the middle of a hill. So yeah, very often, very, uh, some of them we visited at night. So the typical mm -hmm. view would be you're driving in complete darkness on a trail, like through a mm -hmm. forest. There's, um, you could see, sometimes we would see wild animals, like we would see deer on the, on the trail. And then suddenly your car lights would hit like this, this huge concrete structure that is like completely abstract. And one thing that makes it really dystopian is the fact that they're not taken care of really well. So all of them are, you can see that they are have old and forgotten. Broken. Some of them, some of them broken. are broken. Yeah. Some and of also they're not like a fence, like in a way like, oh, this is a monument. There's none of this is just here. So you arrive and it's just there in the middle of a forest with no, sometimes no sign, no anything. So you, if you don't know, you, they just let you there that you don't even know what to think about it. You know? Wow. And, and the reason why we sometimes went at night is because I wanted to shoot time lapse with the stars behind or, you know, stuff like that. So we encounter some funny situations like yeah. police stopping us in Bosnia. Like, what are you doing here in the middle of a forest? And then, are you, you know, worrying like it was a yeah. Spanish guy, like next to the monument, the Second World War? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, We've had some peculiar situations, definitely. Yeah. And how many are there out there? Do you know? Um, an estimation is around 60 or 70,000. Yeah, not Whoa. all of them are that, that big, big or that impressive. It's like all kinds Maybe in of... the hundreds, the big ones? Yeah, in the hundreds, definitely. Then there have been a lot of big and impressive and important ones that have been destroyed in the Balkan Wars as they were and they continue to be seen by the people as symbols of the old communist state. So as the wars were independence wars from that... As, as several of the now existing countries wanted independence from Yugoslavia, the, the monuments were destroyed as symbols of the, the, the country they were leaving, which yeah, but, is a shame. Yeah, because I think what, what maybe would be hard to understand or pe people that don't know is like, in the contrary, there are no monuments as, as communist mon monuments like um, celebrating communism. It's, yes. it's quite the opposite that, that they are like, like remembering battles against the Nazis mm. during the war. So they are not like communists 
in that sense, you know, uh, monuments. Yeah, maybe when we say like communist monuments, we imagine like statues of dictators yeah. who've done, who've, who've committed genocide. It's, it is not that. It is definitely not that. Um, Yugoslavia was occupied by Nazi Germany in 1941. And after that, the, the resistance to the German regime was organized by the people. And a lot of them were like just regular farmers or workers. And they, a lot of them died trying to, to liberate their country from fascism. So the monuments are usually to, to them right. more than to like communist leaders. Gotcha. It's just now communism has such a bad connotation. Well, from the 50s, I think. Right, yeah. right. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there was a specific term for the collective of monuments. Right. Yeah, the, the monuments have started gaining popularity with foreigners, mostly in the last 10 years, maybe. So the term that we use is spomeniks. Spomenik is a word in, in all the languages of the Balkans that just means monument. But if you say it like that, then to, to foreigners, it will mean it's one fancy. thing. And this is, yes, yes. <laughs> and it, it, it is these a word that has been adopted, you know, to use specifically these kind of monuments. Yeah. So you have a really great article in the winter 2023 issue of Overland Journal, and it has photos of what these look like and descriptions and locations of, uh, you know, they're all in a bunch of different Balkan countries. So yes, people yes, have, can find them or yeah. read more about the history behind them and your journey. Yes. Three trips to the area to yeah. discover these mm -hmm. uh, monuments. It's very cool. Yeah, Some of them we went twice because, you know, we wanted to shoot them properly or now with the drone or, or different, seasons. different seasons. So, yeah. you know, we realized also like they would look even more dystopian in the winter. Yeah. You know, because you go to the summer, maybe, you know, Balkans, they are like any other country. They're normal, like forest and look pretty and colorful. And that was, wasn't looking, you know, how I wanted. So, mm. so like, okay, we had to go in the winter. Uh, so we took the car this time, the four ranger that we have with a rooftop tent. And we went in the middle of the winter and we were visiting some, some other monuments camping at, in the, in the snow, like below zero under the snow. And it was, it was great. It was, it was a right decision. We, we got the last twi two times that we went, it was winter, right? The footage is much better, I think. It's just, awesome. It just fits, you know, the, the atmosphere. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yep. Excellent. I look forward to seeing that in print. And Thank you. Yeah. Very, very cool. I love the concept of doing an overland trip that's linking together. It's like a scavenger hunt with yeah. history involved yeah. and yeah, very different. So... Very interesting. Give me an idea a bit about your backgrounds because you're talking about photo and video. And I know that mm. you and Rike have a bit of a background in photo and video yeah, and you as well. I've been a photographer and filmmaker for almost my entire career or life. So first I started as a photographer and, and then I moved to documentary filmmaking and and, and then I specialized more on uh, travel and time-lapse. Uh, specifically doing store footage or, or creating time-lapse for, for advertising, uh, big companies sometimes for, for Sony or, or brands like that. And uh, it was, it was great. It took me like a, to a lot of countries. So I traveling a lot, uh, getting nice footage, travel footage from, from all over, all over the world. That's how I kind of 
got so addicted to this traveling thing and that's I loved it. But at some at some point I was kind of tired of planes in, you know, my so that's why I think uh, I really like Overland so much. It's just different pace, different way of traveling. It allows you to, to get better footage in a way because you're traveling slower and always have as much gear as you want in the car, not <laughs> struggling in the, in the planes. That's when a few years ago we started doing Overland. Then we created the YouTube channel, kind of like out of necessity because we were bored we were so bored because (laughs) because of covid so we couldn't travel and then it's like what are we gonna do i don't know this is a youtube channel do some videos here yeah it was kind of hard we had we both at that point when, when covid hit we had careers in travel filmmaking and then suddenly we weren't allowed to leave our home yeah so we spent the first two weeks of the shutdown just like refreshing news like without like just 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 panicking and without thinking like uh covid cases in the u.s covid cases in spain covid cases in serbia like just numbers and then we realized we had to find something to do and the thing we found was the youtube channel so which is like it gave us a thing to shoot gave us a thing to think about Mm. to research a bit we had no idea how how to do it well and what what does it take to do to to create a successful youtube channel I was in a very like specific niche, you know, like, yeah, I know a lot of filmmaking, but just of these, like then the YouTube channel, you realize you had to do a hundred different jobs. Yes. Yeah. And see, that's kind of the other 99. I think I will skip that. Maybe you didn't tell your background. Sure. Yeah. 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 Well, I am a political scientist. I am really not, I, I, at least I wasn't a professional filmmaker before meeting Enrique. But yeah, I used to work in education and then we discovered the monuments in the Balkans and then everything changed slowly for me. So yeah, I started, we, we started working together and I think we make a good team because we're good at different things. Like he's really, really good at the creative part of it. All right. So yeah, let's say he's good at images and I'm good at words. Um, so we've been working together in this for a while and traveling together for a while. So we also now with the new company, we have split roles and maybe you can tell us more about that. The last years we were actually seeing that, that the market is getting difficult on the, on the image or, or like in the media part, as you know, like everything is changing with artificial intelligence, like with, with the democratization of, of of uh, images and, and all of that. Uh, I think our job as filmmakers and photographers is, is getting harder and harder. Mm. So it was good to have the YouTube channel because it, it allowed us to experiment, to, to, to try different things, you know? So we, we kind of started to invest more time on the YouTube channel than on the stock footage and the traveling. And we realized that we really like it because it's like, a, let us explore the world in a different way, not just like looking for the images, but, you know, also looking for the, the, the adventure, the travel, the driving, learning new skills, like, like off-road or, or I don't know, just like so many other things that, that you get to learn when you are doing Orlando, not just like shooting. Yes. So we really invested more time and then we started to focus more on the Iberica Overland 
kind of company than than in, in the filmmaking. So that took us to a different path where where we spent a lot of time traveling with the car, and we needed a, a better uh, a better setup. So so far we had a, a rooftop tent. It was fine, but then because we like to make very uh, trips in, in to cold weather places and and you know like Scandinavia or the Balkans balance so, up that um, the Madrid heat and yes, the desert lakes. Exactly. <laughs> we, we are not uh, we, we don't like actually the, the 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 heat here in Spain, so we always tend to drive north. Yes. Uh, so we end up in uh, very like bad weather situations. Um, so we really needed uh, uh, a setup where we can have some space to to work inside to 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 get refuge when it's really bad weather. So we did, we decided that the best compromise was to have like a canopy setup, you know, like a, a or like a wedge camper that mm-hmm. you call it there. I think. Yep, wedge uh, camper. Yeah. So yep. we were looking for options, and and then here there's like we cannot import anything from the states it would be very very expensive and at that point there was only like one option and it was like out of our budget just too expensive for us and this was for your ford ranger yeah yeah what year is it we have a 2016 extra car okay for ranger great and uh, diesel 2.2 so it's something that you don't get there i think no yeah and yeah, it's working fine. I'm very happy with it. It's been working great for like 70,000 kilometers. Um, yeah, so we needed one of these and then we couldn't afford it, which uh, at the end it was actually good because we decided, okay, let's just build it ourselves. It shouldn't be that difficult. Ended up being difficult. We needed a lot of help. Uh, it took us a while. But I'm kind of quite perfectionist, so I wanted to leave to make everything... Perfect. Not just like, oh, because I do it in my garage, it's just going to just throw some metal and this, let's go. So yeah, I, how I, did you even start? Like, how did you know you don't have an engineering background? So yeah. like, what was the first, how did you know which materials or what the design would be like or how it would go together? That's a lot of hours in YouTube. Yeah. You could really make everything you want if you spend enough hours on YouTube. Mm. Really, like absolutely everything you want. A lot of time watching videos on YouTube. And, and when you, you hear that, you're first instinct is to think this is like really lost time but it's always like he's gets deep into learning like practical skills and many things many amazing things have come out of his many many hours on youtube which i find really impressive changing injectors and jeep and stuff like yeah that. yeah because like the time i spend <laughs> yeah. online is rarely that productive well you do learn like different skills like see, her thing is languages yeah she's always like the same hours that i spend on youtube <laughs> she, she spend on Bruno. yeah and now yeah, like yeah. we can go almost everywhere because she will just pull some german some french or yeah. whatever so so that's that's good apart that from the nice english weapon. russian serbian Spanish that she speaks already. Yeah. Impressive. So, yeah. yeah. So you can travel in comfort and yeah. communicate. I yeah, love exactly. it. Exactly. I'm yeah. the communication officer. <laughs> you will now be coming with us. <laughs> and you as well. Department. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a photographer that didn't know how to change the oil of the car. Yeah. And then ended up changing injectors and fuel pumps. Just spend enough hours on YouTube. And I, I ended up making videos for our channel explaining how to change injectors or the differential because I've done it. Not because I'm very smart or because I learn how to study. It's like, if you've done it before, you can show the people how to do it. Right. That was it. Like, and then I started putting it on videos. People was asking me on WhatsApp, like, 
hey, what uh, what injector you put here? What you used? Here? It's like, they okay, still do it. It's been years, it. but they still do it. And then yeah. it's like, it was easier. Okay, I'm going to make a video showing how I do it. And then every time somebody asks me, I'm just going to send them the link. And, Perfect. You know, it just escalated. That's how everything started to, to grow. And then we, we got a, quite a big following in a way. I mean, not too big, but... Yeah, for, for Spain, decent. it is. Yeah. yeah. Nice. For um, the niche that we have, I think we have yeah, a good following. Yeah. yeah. yeah so like uh, about the, the camper, so mm. we, we decided to build it and then just spend a bunch of hours learning about materials and design and how I want it. And I have a very clear idea of, of what I wanted and what we need, which is important. And then I did the design. Uh, I learned with the SketchUp how to do 3D design, the basic to design the, the, the structure that I wanted. And then when I went to a, to a friend and asked him, like, if, I said, like, yeah, I want to do this. Can, can you weld it? I don't know how to weld. It's <laughs> not that, you know, that good. And then he welded the, the, the structure and then he started building from there. Nice. And then these, all these like snowball into the canopy ended up looking so good that then people started contacting us saying like, Hey, are you going to make more? Hey, can you do one for me? Uh, are you, are you going to sell them? Like, because there's nothing here mm. in Spain. There's, there's only one brand that comes from, and then it's very expensive. So we say like, why not? We've done one, we can do more. Yeah. So we just already delivered two. So we started clients. a company some months yeah. ago yeah. and now we make canopy campers here in the north of Spain. Amazing. Incredible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What were the priorities that you had at the beginning when you were thinking about the important things for you that you wanted to have included or the materials you had to have or what were your the things mm. you, you must include? I think the main thing was that it has to be light. I think the, the biggest mistake you can make is to want to have everything. Because that is like, even if they give it to you, here's everything, you know, for free, it's going to be very heavy. So the first thing we had to design something that is very light. Also that it, to me was very important to follow the lines of the track that doesn't look like a box that just fell in your truck. So it has to have a design. I, I'm, I'm, you know, very like design oriented. So to me, it was super important that, that follow the lines and it's compact because Spain is not the States and here the, the trails are very narrow and you cannot have a box sticking out of your sides. Mm -hmm. So have to follow that. Of course, that is, that means you're not going to have a queen. I don't know you call it queen side bed or a king side bed. Yes. Maybe it's not that big, but we are not that big either. So that is maybe the downside. It's not as big as other places, other maybe uh, setups, but, uh, but it means that we have a space inside and, and flexibility, and flexibility yeah. to go everywhere as we were going before with the tent. So actually right now, I think even the, with the canopy is even lower than it was with the rack and a tent. Perfect. Yeah. And then also one of the priorities we had to make it comfortable. And I remember when we left for our first trip, so we went to Germany and Czechia this summer with the canopy camper, we actually had a level of comfort that was very close to what we have at home. So we, we knew we've done enough long trips to know exactly what we need to be able to sustain ourselves on a trip that is, that is like several months long. So we knew that we needed a good mattress, a good um, fabric for the tent of the canopy camper, for example. Mm. 
we had to make it completely waterproof, things like that. So a lot of the small details on it come from our personal experience and the things that we value as super important on a, mm. on a longer trip. When you built the prototype, what were some things you learned from that prototype that you would change or had changed? <laughs> so much. It's just like, it's totally different right now in a way. Like the, the design basically is the same, but uh, we improved almost every part. When you start like using it, you realize like, okay, this, this hinge doesn't work well. Now we this lock also, we have to improve this here and there. The, the, the fabric cannot, like the window cannot open this way. It has to open the other way. Yeah, I for example, we made the windows really big because it looked really good in photos. And we, we still think it's super photogenic, but then looking at the experience, yeah, the windows needed to be a bit smaller. So for example, yeah. that is a thing that, that we changed about it. You always want the windows to be bigger though. Is yeah, that yeah. Thing? yeah, yeah, but then yeah, the rest feel. of the fabric, when you open yeah. it, there's this just floppy. Yeah, yeah. then it doesn't have right. enough Because you want to feel like yeah. you're outside when it's nice or you want to see yeah. the view. But something yeah. that but, in that situation, yeah. in that, that sense, what we did is we realized like if it's raining, then you close the windows and then you're like in, in total darkness inside. Yeah. So we did the front window now is transparent. Mm. That way, like even if it's raining, you can you don't close the second layer, then you have light, you're inside with you know good light. Yeah. So yeah. So the whole process important. has been it's been really exciting and really interesting because every day we both learn something new. We both don't mm. have a background in this. So it's, of course, we've made so many changes and I, I'm certain we're going to make so many more because we're just like, we're learning about it. And mm. that's the, the, the nice part. That's the part yeah. that we enjoy the most. Fun. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the best. Like every day come here to solve problems because that means that yeah. you have to, to, to make an effort. You have to find a solution for something. So you have to read about all of that, learn, like maybe watch some YouTube videos again <laughs> and, and find solutions for problems. Like I'm always like, you know, with my iPad, so I have to, I can just draw something and wherever I go and, and have ideas, how to improve or find different parts. And, and it's, it's a challenge because first are not engineers. Second, we don't have any, like an investment firm or anything. So we have to put everything from our pockets and, uh, and yeah, just create this that may or may not have a future. We don't know. But I think it will. <laughs> we'll see. I have faith. Sweet. Well, I wish you best of luck with all of that. Thank you very, very much. exciting. And I love the world, you know, your real world experience and what you are looking for in a product you're creating. So that's, that's pretty cool. Thank you. So, yeah. So you're using, obviously you've taken this camper canopy outside of Spain, but you're also using it within Spain as a proving ground. Yes. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Spain because out of all of us here, you know the most about Spain and you can probably give the best guidance to somebody if they want to come to the area to do a trip. Mm -hmm. um, maybe an overland trip, who knows? Let's talk about if somebody hasn't been to Spain before. This is one thing that I really um, tried to understand. The organization of the country in terms of regions. Different regions have different things to offer, just like, you know, Canada or the US or the UK or whatever. But yeah, just understanding the different regions maybe and breaking those down a little bit and what kind of landscape or, or offerings or history they have behind them. I think uh, even if I am the Spanish one here, she's the political scientist. So I think <laughs> it's better if she, uh, she explained the system 
and then I explain you more about the, the landscape. So Spain is divided in 17 autonomous communities. These are not exactly like states in Canada or the United States, but they are similar. They have their own governments. More or less, they have their own culture or their particular characteristics. And very often they have their own unique landscape. And language. And language. Very often the language, there are four co-official languages apart from Spanish in Spain. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus so, not official, that many communities also have. Yeah, like dialects like that border dialect. on being a separate language. But then there's like uh, regions that we can talk about, like what I was uh, explaining before uh, with the map. Yes. That is like the north coast is, is kind of like what you will understand about Scotland or, or similar. Uh, and then there's the center that is more like what could be, uh, for example, uh, California or... Like Nevada yeah. or yeah, and, Utah. And then, and then there's the center that could be more like uh, the, the Southwest. And then we have the South, which is, is, is really more like, like almost like a de desert area. It's just much, much hotter. And, and the proximity to, to Africa make it... As a foreigner in Spain, I would say that in my experience, other foreigners very often have this like very simplistic image of Spain that mm. like all of Spain is the sun, the beach, flamenco, some yeah. typical foods. And some bullfighting, some, bull some sangria, Absolutely. some paella. Yeah. Which and that is always that, like, it's always hot. It's always hot. Always There's hot. parties yeah. at the beach and, and Ibiza. Yeah, yes. exactly. And I've found since moving here that Spain is so much more. There's there's all of that. Like if you're looking for the typical Spanish experience in this sense, you will find it. It is not hard to find, but there is so much more. There is so much culture here. There are so many different cultural things to discover beyond bullfighting in Spain. Yeah. And then the landscape is so diverse. I've been living here for six years now, and I'm far from being tired of visiting different parts of Spain. And all of them are so diverse and beautiful. Even though you say like they are not like the, the 17 communities are uh, not totally different, but, but they are in a way like you, you, you will see when you travel, you, you will say you don't need to look well, like in, in what community you are. You will see that like, the landscape is different, the, the, the culture, the architecture. You will see it changing. And that's what is amazing. You, you drive two hours and you're in a totally different place. Here in the north, uh, you know, everything is green. Everything is like more like, like forest and, and wet. And then you drive two hours to two, three hours south. And you're in a different community, Castilla Leon, and it's more dry, more mountaineer. And, uh, it's, it's just incredible how much the, the language changed, the, the accent, everything yeah, changes. Yeah, you will find exactly what we talked about before on your travels in South America. How when you move from one country to another, the Spanish changes. It does the same with, with, within Spain in different communities. Yeah. And I'm really curious to hear after your time in Spain, what, what was the hardest dialect for you to understand? Yeah. I'm so curious yeah. about that. Spanish. No. Yeah. <laughs> Period. No. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't understand for, you know, somebody from, from states or anyone else to come and don't understand the Spanish for them. Is, everything is going to be Spanish. But you, that you already know some Spanish, you, you can tell the difference. Like, yeah. okay, this is not the Spanish that the same than, than they were talking in the other community. Oh, yeah. This is different, you know? Yeah. The accent, the, the pace, the, the tone, everything changes. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that, that's the, 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 the beauty of this country that is like having 17 different countries in one, you know? In right. Way. And yeah. that's, that's great. Like people think everything is the same. But that's because they only go to the like surface, you know, of the country. But if you start like investing more time and traveling for longer and, and learning more, you realize how different this. Yeah. I think when I was researching Spain, where we had just arrived in Spain, I was like uh, felt a bit not bombarded, but I was getting all of these different terms thrown at me in in travel guides and stuff like that about the Asturias or or probably pronouncing that wrong or some other air like Pyrenees or Navarro or Navarra or some other regions, but I didn't really understand like where they were, I guess, or what, where do they begin and end? Mm -hmm. Or um, what are some examples of names of those communities that you would say people should look out for? And maybe like just not all 17, but a few in the North, maybe some in the middle and, and the South. So just a few different terms, maybe. I guess what everybody knows out of Spain is like Madrid, Barcelona, because the football clubs, right. for example. Yeah, the big cities. Okay, Madrid, Madrid is one of those uh, cities that has the same name as the Comunidad. Ah, okay. There's only one. But for example, Barcelona is a city that is in Catalonia. That Cat one I've heard Catalonia, a lot. Catalonia, yeah. Catalonia, Catalonia is the one that one independent. It's like, it's, Catalonia is like the California of states. Okay. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, Barcelona is in Catalonia, and then, for example, like Bilbao is in the Basque Country. Many right. people hear Basque Country, but yes. Bilbao is one of the cities. There is Vizcaya. There is, you know, other cities. So there is uh, uh, cities, and then there is the capital of the community, which is, you know, you know, for, in that case. So I don't know, and, and people might not also Sevilla. Yes. Sevilla, Sevilla. Granada, mm -hmm. those are in the south. And they all become, the, they all are part from Andalusia. Andalusia. Andalusia, okay. which is Andalusia, you know, yeah. Andalusia. And yeah. Andalus uh, is And like. <laughs> yeah, so that part. is maybe the place that people, apart from maybe the, the, the beaches, which, which would be in the Mediterranean coast, when people think about the typical Spanish culture, it will be the very south. <laughs> I think that was a good way of breaking it down, yeah. though, because most people will be familiar, familiar with the names of a lot of the bigger cities and mm. then to give an idea of, of like a regional span of a regional span um is always helpful so that just helped me a lot for sure because even in the north so what are we in now we are in asturias so this is very north of spain at the, in the atlantic coast there are four communities in this belt so it is the Basque country then cantabria asturias and galicia these four and then Each of those, this may be wrong, I'm not sure. You can correct mm -hmm. me. They all have their own kind of food culture associated yes. with each one. And then you were saying regional like language differences. Yeah, they would have some similarities, like maybe the dialects or the languages are going to be similar because they, they share borders. Food is going to be largely connected to the ocean. So it's going to be a lot of sea seafood. But yeah, every region is going to have its own peculiarities. Yeah, like for example, here in Asturias, they have like a dialect that most people talk that way. Mm -hmm. But they also have like an old language that is called Babli that they used to talk in the past. They, they are not using anymore. But it's totally different than Galicia. In Galicia, they, they speak Gallego, which is more similar to Portuguese. It's like a mix of Portuguese 
and Spanish. Portuguese and Spanish are already quite similar, so the yeah. the Galician language would be like one, like Something exactly between. in the middle. So you, we two. understand them. Yeah. But it's just different. Like you, you can yeah. understand easily from Spanish to, to Gallego. Yeah, Gallego. and the regional language here, which is called Asturiano or Bable, mm. is a very peculiar one because it's not a standardized language. So if you would write in it today, there is no right and wrong way to write, to spell things, for example. <laughs> there is no, yeah, mm. there is no standard for it. So one town would write it in one way or say it, call one thing in one way and then the next town in another way. Right. It has seen, um, it, it is seeing a renaissance right now. So more and more young people are interested in it. So there is more and more touristic organizations and events for tourists done in this like because it can be understood by a Spanish speaker. Uh, so more and more people are interested in preserving it, which I think is amazing. And mm. uh, some years back, it finally got like there is a university degree in it. Finally. Oh, wow. So it is a big part of, of the regional history that I'm so glad to see. Nice. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of this country. Yeah. That they're so diverse. I mean, there is not only one country. Mm. It is kind of in a way of 17, you know. Yeah. Months. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's great. Like the, the fact that you can go to, uh, to another part of the country and don't understand what the guy is saying to you. It's just kind of amazing. Yeah. You were saying that although you speak Spanish, you may not understand a hundred percent of what yeah. somebody else is saying yeah. in another Just part. because the accent. But if you go to the Basque country, they talk to totally different language that nobody can understand but them. It's not, it's not similar to anything. Yeah, so the other co-official languages are kind of similar to, well, their Latin roots and then to, to, to the Spanish language. But the Basque language is just something complete, something else. It is not related to any existing language on the planet. Wow. So it's like an, yeah. just an island. They just speak it there and that's it. It is very peculiar and they're also putting a lot of effort into preserving it. I just think that is wonderful. Yeah. yeah. For planning purposes, I'm always thinking about planning <laughs> and where am I in the world and what are the things that are offered in the area? And mm. so for folks that are listening to the podcast and want to go to Spain, and I, this sounds so obvious, but it's like figure out what of the 17 communities you're mm. in, like say it's the Basque community you're in, yeah. that will help your search term if you're Googling or YouTubing yeah. for research yeah. purposes. And it will also help if you're looking up the region specifically in your travel guide or even on your map. And then you can get an understanding of the culture and the food yes. and the language. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I know it sounds so what, obvious, no, but when I got here, I was totally. like confused as to where I was and what was happening and where was Basque yeah. country yeah. and what what's happening. You know, but that's the great thing. Like you never get bored here. Yeah, and there's, there's thing for everybody. Yeah. It's like, yes. do you like the beach? Okay, I go east. You know, you just like to be and have parties and stuff. Go to Marbella or Ibiza and all that that everybody knows. But do you like the mountain? And we have huge mountains in the Pyrenees. I don't know, you like deserts? Here we have in the south, the only deserts in Europe. I don't know, just whatever you like, there are the stuff here. Maybe we don't have the Rocky Mountains. Maybe we don't have the Grand Canyon. <laughs> But it's like a bit of everything in a small country is, is great. And for traveling around and it's really relaxed and, and a lot, of, a lot of empty space in a way, like empty in meaning like free space, like it's not tight. It's not like being in, in, I don't know, in Belgium or, yeah. or being in, 
I don't know, in, in, in the Netherlands that you can barely touch some, some dust. Mm-hmm. I mean, here there is a bunch, a bunch of trees that you can hit. So Big cool. landscapes. Yeah. You were saying you don't have the Rocky Mountains, but there are some serious mountains here. Oh, yes. Very <laughs> serious, and very you, steep. You show some. Yeah. yeah. The Picos de Europa. Yeah. Definitely Gorgeous. a very beautiful place in the northern part of Spain that, um, yeah, very difficult hiking, but also really, um, I think, attainable hiking for everyone here as well, which is great. Richard and I have been here for two weeks and we came on the boat from the UK to Santander. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. And finding there are some things that are very different from the UK and some things are very different from Canada and the US. And uh, it's been really nice to be driving on the right-hand side of the road again. Yeah. The right one. The right, right-hand side. The right, right. We're finding the high, like highways and a lot of the roads are wider. Mm. which is nice for our Toyota Tundra. Um, We're also noticing that uh, laundry has been a lot easier to access here. Mm -hmm. There have been some very easy places. uh, Yeah, Yeah. but everything's automatic. So you just pay and and soap's already going in Mm. by itself and it's not expensive. Yeah, It's ours. The showers. Yeah. I found a one euro shower at a <laughs> yeah or gas stations. Yeah, gas stations are for truckers, and you can just pay three euros. That's what we do lately. Yeah. We used to go to campgrounds like every maybe third day or something like that, but then you realized we just hated to be surrounded by people, even if it's just for a shower. Yeah, campgrounds here are different to what you have in yeah. North America. It's like a caravan, it is. It's like caravan camp. It is like just like a place park. to park. <laughs> right. A lot of people come with, with families. There's always like a lot of children running around, so it's not like a peaceful escapade in the woods. In the woods it is going to be noisy. It is going to be like a low-cost hotel very often. Mm. So it is different. We prefer wild camping whenever we can. So yeah, we, yeah. we try to avoid those. And then those. when we need a shower, then we just look for a gas station. Yeah. There's some apps of uh, gas stations that they actually tell like which one. Yeah, the big, the big gas station oh. chains have usually an app or a way to search on their website which gas stations near you have oh, shower facilities. Yeah, yeah. great so tip. Usually yeah. they are quite okay, quite clean because not many people use them. So it's, yeah. it's quite good finding. Love it. Tell me more about wild camping in Spain because mm-hmm. I know in certain areas it's prohibited. Yeah. That is a million dollar question. It is. We, yeah. they, that's something that we usually don't discuss much because it's, it's <laughs> very controversial. Uh, by default, if you read carefully the law, it is not allowed to wild camp. Now, if you have a rig like yours or like something similar, it is very hard to determine if you are really camping or you just stop there. Parking you know is I mean? okay. Parking, so yeah. Okay. So then there is like with the vans or with the RVs, it is also like a difficult and different because they have the, the, the legal status of those vehicles are like uh, more homes, like their homes. So they have a different regulation. Mm-hmm. So they cannot apply that regulation to yours because yours is a truck. So or, or it's, a, it's a car. Yeah. If it's a car, you can just say like, I'm just, you know, I just park here and I'm just chilling in my car. 
Okay. So, <laughs> you know and then there I mean? are, yeah, there are um, parking lots. Yeah. Specifically, if you're in a pinch or if you have a motor home yeah. where you can legally park if yeah. it doesn't look like you're camping. So, no awnings out, yeah. no windows exactly. open. Yeah. And those are fine. Those yeah. are fine. But then we don't like to do that, right? We don't like of, to go. To, right. We like to be in nature. Then, by default, the you read carefully the law, it's kind of camping, but it's not. Why? Because, okay, what are you doing there, first of all, if not camping, you know, just at night? You're just, just well, you can say, yeah, I'm not even sleeping, I just park here. So it is kind of a limbo. Tricky, yeah. It is kind of a limbo. So it is usually nothing happened because there's nobody there to enforce that gray law. Right. Yeah, we do have this confusion also because there is a lack of controls. So we've never ran into anybody, any officer who could tell us, hey, what you're doing is illegal. Who is going to tell you five in the morning in the middle of a forest that, you know, right. this yeah. is not legal. Sometimes happened. Happened a couple of times that we slept a bit late and then, you know, somebody like, a, would you would call it a park ranger or something? Mm. But not park ranger because it's not in a park. In a park, like a natural park, national park, it is totally forbidden. Yeah. We never do it there. Yeah. Yes. That's for sure. But we were in a, just in a hill, and then a guy from the municipality or whatever came. It's like, hey, what are you doing, guys? It's like, oh, I just came to take some pictures. It's, oh, nice. Oh, beautiful track. <laughs> right. That's it. You're not doing anything wrong, really. Self-contained, it's, it's totally pick everything illegal. up. Exactly. You know, yeah. obviously, be really careful with. So that's why, for example, now we are going to move to induction cooking. Yeah. We don't want to have any gas, any fire in, in, the, in the track. So yeah. we want to cook with electricity, don't have anything, because it's true that if you are in all of these areas uh, in the summer, sometimes it's totally forbidden to even drive through the trails yeah. because of, so of a hazard yeah. Of, of, yeah. Of, of, of fire. And for sure, it's, it's forbidden to make fire. Yeah. But that also includes using a, a gas stove. Yeah. Gotcha. That is because it's also fire. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, then now we just got an induction cook and then we're also gonna cook with, with induction, which is like yeah. no, no heat at all. Following the normal, like common sense yes. laws, I think it's, it's, it's a very relaxed country. People like to complain a lot here, like, oh, everything's forbidden. No, it's not. You, you haven't been in Germany. You haven't been in, in, Netherlands, yeah. just like there is everything is forbidden. Like, right. Everything is hard. Even if it's not like if nobody sees you, you want to do it legally, it mm -hmm. is hard to do it. It's hard to make, to find an open trail. Right. Yeah. Here is not like you, you might, you maybe you shouldn't go that trail, but it's, it's allowed. It's, it's easier to access. So. Yeah. Tell me more about the trails here because there are established off pavement trails throughout the country. Um, are there any specific rules behind those or, or that's, curious about that? That's the other well. million dollar question. <laughs> that also changes a lot depending on the community. Yeah, this is where, where the community division becomes important because if this is what every community decides. So for, exa for example, in Madrid, any kind of off-road driving is explicitly forbidden and you will see that all trails are going to be just closed off. Right. Either with a chain or they're going to have a sign. They're going to have a sign and, so and that's it. There's no way you yeah. cannot find dirt without a sign. So nothing. Then you go to other communities, like in the center, 
that is more allowed. It's yeah. more open. It's just no problem. And I think also it depends on like how many people live there. You know, of course, there's like 6 million people living in Madrid in a small community. You, you cannot have the, the open trails. It's just not possible. People would just ruin everything. It's, it's like having a, a, I don't know, like next to Vancouver, having like some, some trails there, like open for the public. I think they would just get ruined. And then you have another open areas, very low density and, po- and, and population where it's, Nobody cares if you go there because it's first of all, nobody goes. And then second, if, if you go, like nobody is going to care that you drive your car to the trail because mostly are used for, for farming and, and livestock and all of that. So you're driving with a pickup there. It's just, just one more. That's right. Right. Yeah. What, what happens in Spain is what happens, I guess, everywhere is that some places become famous, become like internet famous and then become massified. So then the rules become more restrictive in those mm. places. So yeah, there are certain parts of Spain where wild camping or off-road driving is harder and illegal. But in this is the beauty of Spain. It has so many beautiful corners that are quite accessible where you can get lost for days and days on end without any problems, just maybe yeah. don't expect to be able to sleep on the beach at absolutely every spot. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And that's, yeah. that's, that's yeah. the problem that the most pe- people complaints are like, Oh, I got a fine for sleeping here. It's like, where were you? It's like, they were mm. like by the beach. Like they want to sleep with the window open and just jump into the water. It's just maybe another important point to mention that especially during the pandemic years, the first two years of the pandemic, there have been growing tensions and several conflicts between especially van lifers, so people traveling in vans and local communities in certain beach towns. In, in those towns, people live out of tourism and they feel like van lifers in particular, but this applies to some overlanders as well, don't really contribute to the economy of mm. the, the, the town the and just like they <laughs> right. take all the space, they leave all their trash. And so in certain popular places, um, vehicle-based travel is not viewed as something positive. This is maybe a thing to have in mind. So it is always good to be friendly and mindful and respectful towards mm. the local population and to the, the nature, especially to the beaches as they are. Spain's most popular locations. Yeah, but that's only happened if you realize like summertime yeah. around the coast. I was going to say, so I could see how like some of the parking lots or or beach parking lots would get really, really full. And then exactly. a local comes by and is like, I want to surf. There are no parking spots because exactly. we're yeah. all yeah. there yeah. parking yeah. overland traveling through and we're like, cool, this looks like a great spot, but now nobody can actually find parking who lives there, yeah. which, yeah. yeah. But yeah. It's, it's, it's so, so funny because we have such a huge amount of territory in yeah. a way. Of course, it's not as mm. big as the States, or, but it's huge. There's so many beaches. And uh, sometimes we happen that we go somewhere and there's like plenty of room. There's not nobody there. Right. Mm. Just that everybody wants to go to the famous ones. Yeah. Uh, especially like in the east and south of Spain, like the warm to be, you know, the warm. And here you, you, you can probably camp in any beach now you want and, and there's not going to be anybody and nobody will tell you anything. Like off season. It's just like it's off season and it's the yeah. north of Spain. So it's like different. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Good advice. What are some of your favorite off-road routes in Spain? I think I will go for... Well, first of all, we are discovering every corner of Asturias here and it's mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, yeah, we've been living here for two or three months now. We, we were living in Madrid before, so this is... We're also yeah. discovering our new community here. And it's incredible. Like, you only have to drive 20 minutes and to be in an amazing trail. So like every, every day we can go to a different trail and, and discover corners that they have nothing like amazing by itself. Not like, but it's just, just such a beautiful nature, beautiful corners, remote, not explored, nobody there. And we just enjoy that more than going to the hotspots. You know? Yeah. Like sure, there are like amazing places here that, that, that are more famous, but Last year, we spent almost two months just traveling around Asturias, like doing a lot of miles on on gravel roads, and it was great. But uh, if if I had to recommend like a specific trails to people that want to come to Spain, I would say what we call Transpirinaica, mm-hmm. which is like Transpirineers. Yeah, Transpirineers. And it's like a route that crosses the Pyrenees Mountains. Like, let's say that you're going... Like like along the, the the line that divides Spain and France, mm-hmm. so you go from the Mediterranean Sea to the Cantabrico. Um, so you can make like almost like a thousand kilometers, which Close I would to say like, I would say like maybe sixty seventy percent is is gravel. Wow, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. And then there's in the south, there are a few that are very good, like uh, Gorafe, which is a, a beautiful desert that you can feel like you're in Moab. And the same with Tabernas is really nice and, and similar. And then if you go like a bit, this is a little bit out of Spain, but um, it's inside the peninsula, which uh, in Portugal. Uh, there is a route that goes from the south, from the tip of the south to, to Lisbon. Uh, that is called uh, Costa Vicentina, and it's like I don't know, like how many kilometers, but maybe 500 kilometers or 400 kilometers, just on on dirt roads. But there are made of like, there are of sand roads, so mm. they, because there's, it's very close to the beach. Mm-hmm. So you're driving on sand, like almost like like dunes for kilometers and kilometers. Fine. Hmm. And I would say my favorite routes were like the, the, the ones that we made peculiar in a way. For example, we've done a route in the south in the city of Jaén, close to it, the, the one that I recommended for olive oil. We've done a route that went through tunnels. So they were supposed to, the idea was to construct a railway system that would connect this city with the capital. But then the idea was abandoned. So what is left is a network of tunnels, just like tunnels are there and nothing else. So we've done a route exploring that and it was really so much fun. Uh, It is, well, railway tunnels and and endless, sorry, endless fields of olive trees. It is really beautiful Beautiful. landscape. And then several times we've done, we had to go to different cities for different tasks. And then we had this idea, what if we look for trails to connect? I don't know, but we were connecting Madrid with Valladolid, with Valladolid which for example, <laughs> which is far. Which Let's try is, to go all the way there. Yeah, and we've discovered this area that, that we haven't seen before. And mm. looking at our comments on YouTube, many other people didn't know we're there, which is also very 
sandy. The ground is sand and the, the, the landscape is reminiscent of uh, like beaches in Portugal, for example. Yeah. The, the, the plants are the same and the beach is nowhere close. Mm. So we've had just for, for, for this small business trip, we had the pleasure of driving in almost like sand dunes yeah. and having a lot of... So my, my, I would say that my favorite trails are the most unexpected ones. What are you using for trail um, info? Like, how are you finding your trails? Is it like a Google map situation? Do you have paper maps or is it a wiki, wiki website? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, here it works pretty well. I think it's like when many people adopt the same app or the same website or whatever is when it works good because there's more people contributing. So here it works pretty well, Wikilog. So it's, we record sometimes our, our routes or, or we, we go somewhere, we just find them there. And it's, it's been work, it's been working well, especially when we travel abroad. Like sometimes we go to Italy or France and it's like, Oh, we want to go here. Let's see if it's something. And I mean, there is always something nice. and sometimes yeah. take you to very remote, unexpected places. So it's, yeah, we've it's had great. this experience this winter in Italy and it really took us to places we would never even think mm. about going and they ended up being amazing. What are some things that you think that travelers coming to Spain should know about or prepare themselves for? I think one of the, probably the the things that people don't expect is that this country can be very big. Not if you compare the like just by side with maybe states or other countries, but when you want to start exploring places and visiting places, it becomes big because there's a lot of stuff to do and it's kind of far from each other. Right. So it's not some place that you can just uh, like, I'm going to spend a week or two just drive around and see it. It's like, you cannot do that. So if you really want to like go deep and, 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 and get the sense of this country, just prepare to, to spend a while here or just like focus on one area and do that just like two weeks in that area like in the north or in the south and then leave the rest for another trip because otherwise you're just going to drive by and don't see anything. Great advice. And I would say a little Spanish goes a long way. Yeah. Spain is, it has its own culture. Not many people will be speaking English or any other language. And it always makes me so sad to think how so many visitors miss out on so much just because of this, this language barrier. So people are very, I, I, when I've moved here, when I moved here, I didn't speak any, any Spanish and people have been so welcoming and so, so supportive about my language learning journey. And I encourage anybody to just, just do like a few words, a few phrases. It will open so many doors for you. I am so grateful for the tiny bit of pretty crap Spanish that I do have, but I was thinking that when we got here or after we've been here for a couple of weeks that, yeah, I'm very grateful for that Spanish that I do have, even though it's very basic and minimal, but I've been able to communicate, which is great. And more, I would say my experience has been that in probably Mexico and Central South America, there might be more English spoken than in Spain. Yeah. 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 as as, As soon as you get out of Madrid, Barcelona, yeah, it's like no bar. I mean, you're not gonna find it's very bartenders rare, yeah. and, and gas station people talking to you in English. Like, no. Yeah, but. yeah. And another thing that's been cool is people have just started speaking to me. 
in mm-hmm. Spanish. Yeah. And I just assume that they're like a tourist, you know, yeah. <laughs> which maybe they are, but they're being nice about it. Yeah. So I always like, I, I was very mad when I started learning English because it, it kind of like, it was hard and, and I was pissed because I have to make that big effort on all countries that, you know, it's their mother tongue. But I'm so happy now because, you know, we, we get to learn another language, use Spanish because it's used everywhere in the world too. So you, you have two languages that they are probably the most spoken in the world. Yeah. While many of most of the of the people that speak English in the mother tongue, they don't really get the effort, they make the effort to, to learn other languages most of the time. So practicar. Yeah. Yeah. practicar mucho. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that it might be helpful for people to know is the eating schedule. Oh. Or when things are open versus not open, siesta time. That is a good point. That is a good observation of Spanish traditions. Uh, For us, meals are a very important part of the culture. So it's not just like fuel. So we, we don't understand that thing of eating a sandwich and run or do this and that, or like even like the coffee to go. Yeah, so or the concept of like, oh, I eat when I'm hungry. No. no. <laughs> Lunch is from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. And that's it. Everybody sit down and eat together. Okay. And drink so, together. And drink yeah. together. And drink so together. So you cannot order lunch at four because it's not lunchtime. Lunch is from two to three. And not at <laughs> That's 12. It. No, it's mm. not at 12. It's not ready yet. <laughs> if you go to a restaurant at 12, lunch is not ready yet. Okay. You right. cannot order that. Uh, just, can you make me a, no, just lunch is going to be served from two to three. This happened to me so, a lot in the beginning. In the first few years, I would come to a restaurant when I'm hungry no. and the chef literally goes home. There is nobody to cook for you. Right. Yeah. So. 3, 3.30, you can order still, but you can order meal like lunch at 4. Same with dinner. You cannot show up at dinner at 6 p.m. because it's not there yet. Dinner is from, let's say, 8 to 10, 10.30. Oh. Yes. Spanish people it's love normal. to make... It is lighthearted fun, but they still like to make fun of foreigners. They love to go like, oh, we've seen <laughs> British people eating huh. dinner at, at 7 p.m. Or at 6. Like, We are here like, you know, proper, you know, yeah. human people. Human, yeah. we have dinner at ten, and then these people don't know how things yeah, are done. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the thing. Yeah. Also, we made it. another yeah. thing yeah. that is that is peculiar about Spain is that Spain is just at the end of the time zone, so the the whole that's schedule, <laughs> yeah, the whole schedule is a bit like late, everything yeah. is a bit later. So if you you've noticed maybe that the sunrise is quite late it's like so late. Eight, yeah it's almost at 9 a.m yeah this time of so the year. dark so, so everything dark. is like a normal like job schedule in europe would be a nine to five here is already 10 to six ah so yeah, everything is a bit later yeah, so people tend to eat okay. very late eat their dinner very late and then stay up Talking and then also Watching parties. Twelve one every day, like during yeah. the week. And then if you if you Nobody if you like to, and then if you like to go out, parties tend to last until the morning, until like eight, nine in the to morning. Party before midnight. Yeah. Or 1 yeah, 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 yeah. You don't. That's when you go out. Yeah. When is breakfast then? Should be like eleven. I would say that's like a normal breakfast, breakfast? time. Yeah. So no. Sleep in. No, I mean like. 
in the week. It's like everybody goes breakfast eight, eight thirty. Yeah, but then you have like a second breakfast around the second breakfast. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, you call it we call it almuerzo, and then we like you start at eight, and then at eleven because you because the meal is not until three. Right. So, so everybody of course, you start, work, you start working at eight. You cannot, you, you cannot be without eating until three. And yeah. the breakfast, so the first breakfast is like coffee and a little and a something. Little thing, yeah, which is ridiculous. And but okay. Second <laughs> breakfast. And then is second usually, breakfast, you have a pincho or something. You know, like what is that like? Oh, like can pincho you tortilla. With can you tell us what that is? Pincho. <laughs> yeah. Is like a small piece. Pincho means like pinch or like uh, like put a stick in something. So mm-hmm. it's like the, like a, a small piece of meat of, of food that they put uh, like a, a wood one of those wood uh, mm-hmm. sticks like a toothpick like a, like tooth- a long pick, thicker toothpick, toothpick. Yeah. yeah and then you just take it and eat it it's like just it's like in one bite thing, one bite thing and something that you eat between meals gotcha and you know to to get you to the to the big meal that we make a big meal at lunch and it's a break and that's where they come the cliche like the the of the siesta that we have a siesta siesta is a real thing it is, especially in the south in the, the summer south. the thing is like in the summer it makes sense in the summer between 2 and 5 p.m you cannot move because it's 40 something degrees so why are you going to go like you cannot go work and you just ate so then what they do is they, yeah, they, they, split, sleep. they split the, the the time schedule like the working hours mm-hmm. and then they give you a few hours in the middle of the day so you just chill on the shade you can go to sleep or you can just chill yeah and have to go to bed uh, and but then you anyway, go back to work later because it's, it's cooler. It's a, it's a anyways, it is typical, especially in small towns that, for example, shops and supermarkets will close yeah. normally from 2 from p.m. to 5. 5 p.m. Even in winter, even when it's not hot, even if they don't go to sleep, this is the lunchtime. Right. What's the difference between a pinchos? Pinchos? Pinchos. And a tapa? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the pinch is just a bite, just something small. And the tapa is like a small plate, it's a bit bigger. Right, okay. So pinch is something that you just like snack, tiny snack. Tapa is something that if you have two with a friend, then you already have lunch, you know? It's just a bit bigger portion. Gotcha. And the, tapas, they, they, they usually come with a drink. Yeah. The idea is that no, typically if you no, order, place, right? yeah, depends on the place also, <laughs> but the, typically what it's supposed to be, you order. So we, we also talked about this before. The alcohol culture in Spain is quite relaxed. So people usually don't drink to get drunk, but a lot of people drink all the time and it's really normal to have a glass of wine with, with lunch or like it's a just beer. a different drink. It's just yeah. that happened to have a little bit of alcohol. So normally yeah. what you would do is order, let's say order a small beer. Beers are small here. So like they come in a, in a small glass and you will get, yes. And then with, with the beer, you will get a tapa. So you will get something to eat with it. Yeah, but that is also pretty cultural and depends a lot. It changes a lot depending on the community. Right. Yeah. So pinchos are in the north, like Basque country. Tapas mm-hmm. are thin from Madrid, a yeah. lot. And and then the south, big tapas. South, if you go to Granada, you only have to ask for beer. They give you a piece of so you only have one beer, one beer. You are the four beers. You already have dinner. Yes. So, oh yeah. This is a typical low budget traveler tip. Like look for places that have big pinchos or okay, big tapas. 
mm-hmm. and, and go there. So you save on dinner. Love that. Yeah. Love that tip so much. I'm excited. I had a really nice chilled red wine mm-hmm. the other day and I was like, this is a chilled red wine. I thought that you weren't <laughs> supposed to chill a red wine, but it was amazing. So yeah, the food culture here is yeah, deep. Yeah. Amazing. Definitely. Thing. Definitely worth digging into while people are here. Thank you guys. Um, I think that people are probably overwhelmed now yeah. with all of the information about Spain. Still there. Still there. <laughs> You're still here. I'm sorry guys. No, it was so helpful. Super helpful tips, especially coming from people who live here. That's the best. So I guess we can wrap it up and thank you again for coming on the Overland Journal podcast and sharing your experiences and all your tips on Spain. Um, If people would like to follow you or find you on the interwebs, where should they go? Yeah, we are everywhere as Iberica Overland from Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all that. Our social media is in Spanish. However, we do speak English. So for anybody that would like any tips on Spain or, or anything, we yeah. do look at all our, all of our messages and respond to all of yeah. them. So feel free. Yeah. And also many of our YouTube videos have uh, subtitles. subtitles. Yeah. Sweet. So. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, it's been a pleasure. I can't wait to go explore the 17 communities and, <laughs> and, the, tapas. and the tapas and practice my Spanish with uh, di- regional differences. That's very fun. So always a pleasure. Thank you guys so much for coming thank on. You. Thank you for having us. And thank you so much to our listeners of the Overland Journal podcast tuning in for another episode. We appreciate you and we will see you next time. Bye.